As we enter into God's Word, let's enter into prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you open these words to our hearts, that these words would enter into our ears and not only remain in our minds but penetrate our hearts, Lord. I pray that you give us a fertile and a softened heart, Lord, that every single word, every single seed that is sown, that, Lord, that you will germinate it with your living water and your Holy Spirit, that you will breathe your life into this message, Lord, that is born from your heart. So, Lord, create in us a clean heart, create in us a new heart, because, Lord, your Holy Spirit and your Word and Jesus, you show us a more excellent way to live, Lord. So, Father God, I just pray that every seed that is planted that will grow into a mighty tree and that each tree would bear fruit for you Lord and that your fruit when your harvest comes Lord will be ready I pray Lord that you prepare us and that you lead us and you guide us by your Holy Spirit Holy Spirit let your spirit and your truth edify and glorify your holy name because it's all about you Jesus Jesus, you are all in all, and you are the creator of all. You are the greatest farmer, and Father God, I would just pray that your word would just penetrate and soak into our hearts this day. We give you all the glory for your infinite and your majestic design, for you are the God of the possible, Lord. You can soften the hardest heart, you can create a heart of stone and take that stone and make it into a heart of flesh and you could soften it, Lord. So I pray that you bring down the walls, you bring down the barriers that are in each of our hearts, Lord. Each of those who are listening to this message, that you would bring an opening with your word and that your two-edged sword will pierce apart the bone and the marrow the spirit and the soul and the thoughts and intentions of the heart because you are the word of God in Jesus name Amen Hi and welcome this day we, we begin the fourth part of our, our, our session on creating me a clean heart O God God is the one who gives increase to the seed and in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 5 to 11 this says who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believed even as the Lord gave to each I have planted Apollos watered but God gave the increase so then neither is he who plants anything nor he who waters but it is God who gives the increase. So he planting and he watering are one, and each one shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For of God we are fellow workers, a field of God, and you are the, a building of God, according to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. 
but let every man be careful how he builds on it. For any other foundation can no one lay than the one being laid, who is Jesus Christ. In these wonderful words of Paul, he makes it so clear the foundation of the Church of Jesus Christ and the Bride of Jesus Christ has been laid. The foundation is upon the rock which is not made by human hands. And we are those living stones, part of God's building. So there is no new foundation to be laid. A house only has one foundation. And we are the ones who plant the seeds, the Word of God. We are the ones who water into people's gardens, in their hearts. But it is God, Him alone, who gives the increase of this greatest gift. So a believer sows and he waters someone else's garden. And the prophet Hosea says this, Come, let us return to God. He says, Come and let us return to Jehovah, for He has torn, and He will heal us. He has stricken, and He will bind us up. And after two days, He will bring us to life. In the third day, He will raise us up, and we shall live in His sight. Then we shall know if we follow on to know Jehovah, his going out is prepared as the morning, and he shall come to us as the rain, as the latter and former rain, to the earth. Now the book of Hosea is a very interesting book. Hosea was a man who God made him marry a prostitute, and he had three children. And he didn't know if he was the father of these children. But there is great lessons here about idolatry and spiritual adultery. But in Hosea chapter 6, he is calling his people to return back to Jehovah, back to God, back to Yahweh. And in verse 2, actually very interesting, this is an end time prophecy. You know, we have heard the scripture that a day is like a thousand years in the Lord's eyes. And he says here, after two days he will bring us to life, and the third day he will raise us up. This perhaps is an allusion to the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he will raise up his people, he will raise up his bride, and we will be translated, and we will be like him, and we will see him as he is. The life cycle of God's sowing, growth and harvest. God gives us his recipe or his farming method through nature. And if we look at the, the life cycle of a plant, we can compare this to God's process with our own hearts in the garden of our own hearts as the garden is the soil and so the first thing 
that God does is He softens the heart and He tills the soil and makes it fertile to receive the seed of the Word of God. Just like a farmer needs to plow the field, he needs to soften the ground, he needs to make the ground fertile so that the seed is able to germinate and spring forth and grow roots and that it won't be on shallow ground but that it will be on fertile ground. So the second part of this, once God has softened our heart, is where He brings us from death to life through the acceptance of the gospel of salvation, the good news, the acceptance of Jesus Christ as the only way to eternal life. And He brings death to the corrupted seed with His uncorruptible good news, the way back to be reconciled to God. And with the former rain, this is to germinate the seed. So that seed is planted in that soil, and then it is watered to bring germination to that seed. And this is like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, as we are baptized by the Spirit, as a seal upon our hearts, upon our lives, once we have accepted the gospel. And this is the water of the Word of God and the water of the Holy Spirit of God. So the seed starts to develop root structure before it emerges above the soil. It is still an infant. It is still a baby. And this, it's very much like once we come to Christ, we are still a baby in Christ. But we have to develop our root structure so that we can grow up to maturity. And the root structure will provide support for the coming trials and testings of life, for the trying and the testing of our hearts. The root structure which grows out in every direction gives us the strength and the support to stand firm as a believer in this day. And then in nature we see the vegetative phase. So as we grow and we start to branch out and we grow leaves, we mature in our inner spirit, going from the milk of the word more to more meat of the word and this is spiritual growth and then the Lord will bring the latter rain which brings the flowering process which will become fruit in his season and this is the spiritual fruit that God wants to produce in every single one of our lives that, he, that every seed must bear much fruit and every farmer tends his fields and expects his fields to bear fruit in harvest time. So the fruit is ready 
to harvest in its season. So what is sown in death is to be made alive. And this incredible scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, O foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. What you sow, you do not sow the body that is going to be, but bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of some of the rest or other type of grain. And God gives it a body as it has pleased him and to each of the seeds its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but one kind of flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another of fish, and another of birds. So that God is comparing just as there's diversity in every living creature, in every creation, in every everything around us, that each of us are unique, that we are not the same. We have our own personalities and our own identities, our own characteristics. And God says there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is truly different, and that of the earthly is different. One glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So God is making the separation between the heavens and the earth, between the celestial and the terrestrial, the earthly, and that every single star is unique. Everything is by His design unique. And there is a different glory for heavenly and a different for earthly, fleshly bodies. So also is the resurrection of the dead. And this is us as believers. So it is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. This incorruptible seed, this heavenly, this supernatural seed that is sown into our hearts. And the death of our fleshly corrupted bodies, our earthly bodies, they are not immortal. But the heavenly seed is immortal. So it is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. And it is raised in power. This is God's supernatural power. This is the Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. This is the same Spirit that lives within us. And it is sown a natural body. But it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And this is the distinction the Holy Spirit is making. That when the Holy Spirit quickens us, He brings us to life, supernaturally, spiritually restoring our relationship with God. Through Jesus Christ, our Messiah. So we are born of the water of the womb, in the flesh. But we are reborn by the Holy Spirit of God, through the seed. 
which is the Word of God, who is Jesus. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, and the last Adam was a life-giving spirit. Jesus is this life-giving spirit. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. But not the spiritual first, but the natural. So first the natural is born, and then afterwards the spiritual. So the first man was out of earth because God created Adam from the dust of the earth. And the second man was the Lord from heaven, Jesus himself. And if we look at the, the moon and the cycle of the moon and how when the moon grows as it is waxing, it is getting bigger, so it's going from new moon to full moon. This is where there is more vegetative growth in a plant. And when the moon wanes, so when it is going from full moon to a new moon, this is when the root structure is growing. So in the simplicity of nature, and if you combine the heavenly, the celestial, the stars, the moon, and the impact the moon has on the cycles of growth. Because God separated the night and the day. And in the Hebrew calendar, the day begins at sunset. Not at sunrise. So when the moon rises, this is the beginning of the day. And then as the sun sets... It's the end of the day. So different to the Roman and Gregorian calendar that, that we have today. But the cycle of the moon has an impact on the growth of everything on this planet. It, it impacts the tides. It impacts what grows above the ground and what is below. Because what is interesting, what is below the ground... This is the, the strength of the plant. This is the strength of us as a believer. You, you cannot trust children with jewels or gold and silver. These things are found buried in the earth. And one needs to dig deep. And the, your roots need to go deep to access this. And that whatever grows above the ground, is visible and then when it's time for fruiting and for harvest this is when the fruit will be produced at harvest time but the root structure nourishes and sustains that plant so the question is how strong is my root structure as a believer in Jesus am I with able to withstand the coming storm? Am I able to withstand the testing and the trying and the purification and the persecution and the sickness that is going to come my way? Because Jesus, through his obedience in suffering, he was obedient. The world did not accept him. 
But yet through his obedience, God raised him up to the right hand of the Father. He is at the right hand of God. He is our strength. And our roots need to drink from living water. And our roots need to be established. So that whatever circumstance comes, whatever wind blows, that we will not be blown over or uprooted or fall over or lose our way. So this is what Paul says in Ephesians. It says to be rooted and grounded in, in God's love. In Ephesians 3 verse 17 to 20, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height of God's love, this four-dimensional love. Modern science has proved that, that time is a dimension. We serve a God who is outside of time altogether. So there is a time and a season for everything, as Solomon says. So from the time a seed is planted, until harvest time, there is a, per a period of growth, of strengthening, of establishment, of being rooted and grounded. And then Paul goes on to continue, he says, And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly ab abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us this is the Holy Spirit that works in us and that grows us as we draw near to God as we become rooted and grounded in love and that God is able to do over and beyond anything we can even imagine is what we sow is what we reap we've all heard the saying but what we sow today prepares us for tomorrow and we know that God is faithful that he is already in our tomorrows because Jesus was the same yesterday today and forever he never changes. His word has never changed. So he knows the end from the beginning. He knows exactly what we need. Not what we want, but what we need according to the will and the purpose and the plan of God. And we've been brought to life, alive in Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 2 verses 6 to 10. He says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving, with joy in your hearts. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, after the systems of this world, and not after Christ. For in Him 
dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Jesus is the head of, of the body. He is the head of the church. He is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. And He is the capstone. He is, and we are all members of one body that fit together in Him. And that we are not to be deceived through opinions or through philosophy or vain deceit or vain babblings or after the traditions and commandments of men. Because they are not after Jesus Christ. We are to pursue God. And we are to be in pursuit of God. With our spiritual man. Because there dwells the fullness that God has in store for us. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. But of power. And of love. And of a sound mind. This is the promise of God. This word power here that is used. There are five different words for power and five different words for love in the Greek. And the English doesn't capture this. But the word power that is used here is dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite from. This is the dynamite, explosive, supernatural power of the Holy Spirit of God and the word love here is God's love agape love or agapeo love which is unconditional love which is to be totally given over to and this is the love that is talked about in 1 Corinthians 13 this is God's love humans love always comes with conditions I love you if or I love you because, or I love you when. But God's love is unchanging. It is unwavering. It is everlasting. And it gives us a sound mind. He's given us a mind that He will fill with His wisdom and His knowledge. For the Bible also says that the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of understanding is the fear of the Lord and this fear is not this earthly fear it is the awe and the reverence for who God is it is the respect and the majesty of his authority of his character of his nature the ancient of days not the fear that the world gives us but the love that God grows inside our hearts because we are the children of God and we are no longer slave to fear. Because Paul says in Romans 8, this is an incredible chapter from beginning to end. It starts off with there can be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends with that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And here in the middle of this chapter, he says, from verse 13 for if you live according to human nature you are going to die but if you live by the spirit you continually put to death the activities of the body you will live 
He's talking about everlasting life here, immortality. For all who are led by God's Spirit are God's children. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, a spirit of bondage that leads you into fear again. Instead, you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We have received the spirit of adoption into God's family and we earnestly await the adoption when we, we shall receive our inheritance and rewards that are waiting for us in God's kingdom and it's the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children God knows who are his and he knows how to keep those who are his out of temptation for God has appointed us unto salvation not unto wrath for there is spiritual sowing and there is a spiritual harvest and Paul writes us to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 7 to 14 he says who serves as a soldier at his own wages at any time who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit or who feeds a flock and does not partake of the milk of the flock do I say these things according to man or does not the law say the same also for it is written in the law of Moses in the Torah that you shall not muzzle an ox thrashing grain on the threshing floor does God take care for oxen or does he say it altogether for our sakes? It was written for us, so that he who ploughs should plough in hope, so that he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of this hope. And this is a supernatural, eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ, in the anticipation of his coming and the anticipation of his kingdom so that we are to participate as we plough and as we thresh on the threshing floor that we are partakers of the harvest for if we have sown to you spiritual things is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things there is a big difference between carnal fruit or carnal riches and spiritual riches there is a big difference between carnal treasures earthly treasures and spiritual treasures carnal treasures just like the fleshly body we cannot take it with us but the spiritual treasure lasts for all eternity so we we are to heap up a store of spiritual treasures we are to sow spiritual seeds that will produce spiritual fruit in other people's lives and he continues if if others have a share of this authority over you rather should not we but we have not used this authority but we have endured all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ they didn't profit from the Word of God 
They didn't say that it was the gospel that made them rich. But they, these apostles were driven by speaking the word of truth, by speaking the good news that Jesus had come to provide a way out. And they endured everything. If you notice, Paul in his letters, he probably spends more time defending the gospel than preaching it in his letters to the church, to the different churches. And he says, do you not know that those who minister about holy things live of the things of the temple and those attending the altar are partakers with the altar? Our hearts are that altar to God. Our hearts are that living sacrifice to God, as it says in Romans 12. And we are the temple of God. We are the living temple. And Paul continues here. He says, Even so the Lord ordained, ordained those announcing the gospel to live from the gospel. The good news is what sustains us. The good news is what sustains our inner man and woman in, and in our spirits. This is a completely different perspective and different point of view. It's time to change our point of view. To look at the way God sees sowing. God sees reaping. God sees harvesting. For what are the spiritual needs for growth? And if we look in nature, God gives us his, his, his model, His prototype. So if we look at a plant, it needs soil and it needs space to grow. But it needs sun and air and water. It needs sun to photosynthesize. It needs the air. It needs, because it takes that, the, actually the, the carbon dioxide in the air and converts it into oxygen. So the more plants there are, the more oxygen there is that we have to breathe. And the carbon dioxide is necessary for photosynthesis. Without CO2, there can't be photosynthesis. This is God's recipe. This is the way He designed plants. And the water to nourish and grow and nurture the plant. So if we look at this in context of the I Am statements of Jesus... So we need light to grow. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. David says in Psalm 97, Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. And in the book of John, chapter 8, says, Then Jesus again spake unto them, saying, I am the light of the world, and he that follow me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And the water that is needed for the nourishment and the growth. Jesus says, I am the living water. And in John chapter 4, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall never thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up 
into everlasting life. There is a well within each of us as a believer, a well of living water that God fills up so that we can pour out into others' lives. We can water. This water doesn't become stagnant. Just as the Bible says we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, they don't just have the past, present and future tense. This is a continuous, active, participle tense. So he, he is saying we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That we are to pour out water freely so that we can be replenished and restored and refilled with water. So that we can pour out again. This is the cycle of the spiritual water. And then the breath of all life. Jesus is all in all. And in the book of Acts. Where Paul enters into Athens. And this is known as the Mars Hill sermon. When he, when he stands on Athens and in, in Athens. And Paul was a, a, a Greek of Greeks. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was educated in the Greek mindset. And as well as a Jew of Jews, he was educated in the Jewish ways. He was educated by Gamaliel, who still to this day is recognized as one of the greatest Hebrew scholars. And in this chapter, Paul enters into Athens and he's walking past all these idols that they have and all these temples that the Greeks had to their different gods and he comes to the statue and you know the Greeks always wanted to cover their bases so they had a statue there and on it was written the statue to the unknown God so Paul come in and, and announces himself to the greatest philosophers to the greatest scientists to the greatest academics the mathematicians of the day this was the seat of wisdom of the day. And he announces to them, and he says, I have come to represent the unknown God. He got their attention. And here in Acts 17, he says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, and dwelleth not in temples, made with hands neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything and seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things in just these two verses Paul takes the wisdom of this world and confounds them for what is foolishness to God God will use this to bring folly and show the folly of the wisdom of this world. Because He is the creator of heaven and earth. And His habitation, His temple is not made by human hands. And we as a believer, the Holy Spirit living within our hearts, our heart is the altar. Our heart is the holy of holies, the holy place. Where God's Spirit resides and He gives us breath. So Jesus' blood 
cleanses us from our sin and the Holy Spirit breathes into our lungs which reoxygenates our blood which then pumps back into our heart chambers and back into our spiritual body to sustain us and Jesus came to save you not to condemn you this is the most famous verse in all of the Bible and everybody knows this verse we have been taught this as a child even unbelievers know this verse from John chapter 3 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved it's so important to take the Bible and the Word of God in the context and the co-text in which it is written and to read the whole book and not to just choose which verse is suitable for us or which is not suitable for us in 2 Timothy it says all scripture is God breathed every single word is the breath of God so those who do not believe the word of God who do not believe the gospel they will criticize and they will ridicule how can you believe in this book how can you believe in in something that you haven't seen and Jesus if we continue reading in this chapter he makes it so clear that he came to save the world not to condemn them he came to reconcile us back into a right a righteous relationship with God and here in verse 18 is the key he says he that believeth on him is not condemned so he that believes in Jesus is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God and this is the condemnation so by rejecting the Word of God by rejecting Jesus the real Jesus the only the one true Son of God we are condemning ourselves it's not Jesus who are condemning us he came to bring an end to the curse he came to bring an end to the curse of the law but he came to fulfill the law and the promises of God to be reconciled reconciled and he is that light so this is where Jesus says and the light is come into the world but this is the sad part and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil this is why God had to come and give us a new heart Jesus had to come to be the ultimate sacrifice the final the eternal sacrifice 
for all past, present and future sins so that we can be reconciled because Jeremiah says for a man's heart is incurable it is full of wickedness full of darkness we look at the days of Noah that men's deed were perpetually evil in God's sight so God's pl ultimate plan of redemption is found in Jesus and him alone and the Jesus not of religion or of traditions of men or commandments of men but Jesus the Word of God he wants to be in a relationship with you he wants to be in an intimate relationship with you and this is the warning of rebellion and hardness of heart if we harden our hearts against God there is a consequence to our actions behavior matters and in the book of Samuel chapter 15 verse 23 he says for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou has rejected the word of the Lord and in Jeremiah chapter 5 he says now hear this O foolish people and without heart who have eyes and see not who have ears and hear not do you fear me says Jehovah will you tremble at my presence I have placed the sand for the boundary of the sea by a never-ending decree what does that mean never-ending so that it cannot pass it and though they toss themselves yet they cannot prevail though its waves roar yet they cannot pass over it but this people has a revolting and a rebellious heart they have revolted and are gone for those who reject the word of God those who do not obey the will of God have rebelled against the word of God and here he says and they do not say in their heart let us now fear Jehovah our God who gives us both the former and the latter rain in its season and he reserves to us the appointed weeks of the harvest they've taken him for granted they've worshipped other idols their hearts have turned away and rebelled against the purpose and plan of God's for for their lives so let us return to God and this image is very interesting it says whatever you feed will grow faith or fear worry or confidence doubt or belief it's your choice what grows in your heart it's your choice what fruit will be produced in your life it's your choice whether to trust God and accept he is who he says he is or to worry or to have confidence and the hope and the hope that we have is an eternal hope and have confidence in God 
Because if we worry, we do not trust God. And if we fear, we doubt. Fear and doubt are twins. But faith and belief in things that are not seen, faith and belief in the Word of God, in the good news of God, these are the seeds, the uncorruptible seeds which will grow in our lives. And it's our choice. We have a free will. God is the cheerful giver. And He warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says this, But I say this, He who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Each one, as he purposes in his heart, let him give. Not of grief or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is about unconditional giving. It's not about expecting anything in return. Because Jesus said it is better to give than receive. And when you give, do not pronounce yourself like the hypocrites do, he says. But rather, do not let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. For the purpose in your heart, you give freely out of our hearts. Not because we have to, or because of guilt, or because of shame, or because it's necessary. We give because it delights God. It delights us to give. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that in everything, always having all self-sufficiency, you may abound to every good work. This is a promise of God. So as we cheerfully sow, as we cheerfully reap and we cheerfully give, God is able to make all of His grace abound towards us and that we are totally self-sufficient upon the sufficiency of the Word of God and of Jesus Himself and that we will abound to every single good work. What an incredible promise! And as it is written, He scattered, He has given to the poor, His righteousness remains forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the eating, may he supply and multiply your seed and increase the fruits of your righteousness. This is like the parable of the talents. God wants us to sow those seeds that are planted into our hearts. He wants us to bear fruit. And the fruit that we bear, we bear is in others lives that we sow those seeds that is in others lives too not only our own and by this you are being enriched in everything to all generosity which works out thanksgiving to God through us we are his workers we are his ambassadors we are his stewards and for the ministry of this service not only supplies the things lacking of the saints, which is in the church, but also multiplying through many thanksgivings to God. Multiplying, increasing, sevenfold, 
increase, complete increase. Through the proofs of, the, of this ministry, they glorify God for your freely expressed submission to the gospel of Christ and the generosity of the fellowship toward them and toward all. This is this love that as we receive, we have freely received this gospel. The gospel is a free gift from God so that no man may boast. And this salvation is an eternal salvation and we are freely to give of this and freely give these seeds that are sown and God will give increase. He will multiply. And in their prayer for you who long after you because of the exceeding grace of God on you. Thanks be to God for His unspeakable free gift. What an incredible piece of scripture. And God's final harvest is predicted in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 21 to 26. He says, Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Had it not been told to you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are, are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth, stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing of this earth. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity, Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble, as chaff. These are the wicked, these princes, these mighty men. These judges of the earth. There is only one judge. There is only one lawgiver. And he sits on the circle of the earth. He inhabits eternity. To whom then will ye liken me, says God? Or shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high. And behold who hath created these things. That bringeth up the, their host by number. And he calleth them by names. He calls all of them by their name, by their greatness of his might. For that is he, that he is strong in power, and not one faileth. Do you know that God has named and numbered every single one of his creation? Every single star in the heavens, in the celestial, has a name. Each and every one of us have a name that has been given, a calling that has been given upon our lives. For God has called us and He has chosen us. And the word church means to be separated. The word ecclesia means separated ones. So God has called us and He has chosen us. And in Matthew 15, Jesus confirms us. He says, but he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Here he is warning us about the final harvest and is being predicted 
Because God, just as God sows seeds of righteousness and, and seeds of light and seeds of truth, there is an adversary who roars like a lion waiting to devour us. His name is Satan. And he plants discord, he plants disunity, he plants seeds of falsehood, seeds of lies, corrupted seed. God's seed is uncorrupted, but the devil sows corrupted seed. The devil always comes with X plus one or X minus one, never X. With God, we know it is impossible for Him to lie. It is always X. So this is how we not be deceived. That if we, we read the Word of God, we study the Word of God, we know the, the, holy, and the whole counsel of God. We have the Holy Spirit living within us who is the teacher. So that when a corrupted seed comes... We know that this is not the truth. So let us hold on to the truth and let us hold on to those uncorrupted seeds that God has planted and not those corrupted seeds that the devil tries to sow in our lives. It's like the wheat and the tares. And God's promise to us, He says that we will bear much fruit for Him even in old age. And David understood this in the book of Psalms 92. He says the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. And the word palm is erect or upright. And he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The word in the Hebrew Lebanon means whiteness. For those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And they shall still spring, bring forth fruit in old age and they shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright he is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him and in scripture the word fatness and 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 and, and oil and flourishing refers in the spiritual sense if we are serving God is to God's increase to his multiplication in our lives, to his growth in our lives. Because he is upright, so do we also walk in uprightness. And back to the Romans chapter 8 again. And Paul says, and we know that all things work together according, all things work together for good to, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose and later he says nay in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us what a beautiful promise from God that we are the called according to God's purpose and that all things will work together for good to us who love God God promises to finish what He starts in each one of us. And there is going to be a final harvest of this earth. And in the book of Revelation, 
And this is a continuation of a parable of Jesus. But this is the final harvest that is coming to this earth before Jesus brings His judgment and establishes His kingdom, His eternal kingdom on this earth. And in Revelation 14, verse 14, He says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat, likened to the Son of Man, having on His head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire. So these three angels will bring the final harvest, and cried with a loud cry to him, that is to Jesus, who is sitting in the clouds with his bride with his heavenly host, awaiting to bring his judgment. But he, he waits to harvest the earth first. And he says in a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her, her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it, on the great winepress of the wrath of God. So there is an angel who is going to reap the wheat, and there is an angel who is going to reap the tares, and place and the wheat that has been on the threshing floor of God, and the tares which are the wicked in this world. They will go into the winepress of the, the wrath of God. We all have a choice. And we are to choose Jesus. If we choose Jesus, we are spared from the wrath of God, from this winepress. If we choose Jesus, he, we will be like Him. We will be sons and daughters in His kingdom. So this is the final harvest that will happen in His season. So are you a wheat or are you a tear? And this is from a parable Jesus spoke in Matthew 13 verse 24 to 30. And the thing is that wheat and tear, the tears look identical to wheat. During the vegetation, during growth time. It's only at harvest time. Can you tell the difference? If you look at this picture, the wheat turns golden when it is ready to harvest. But wheat, when it, before it is fully ripe and tears, only to a discerned eye can one tell the difference. They look very similar. They look identical. But at harvest time, they change color. The wheat goes golden from the light. Whereas the tears become blackened. So the tears, in, it, 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 
it's a it's a poison poisonous weed or, or darnell is the type of weed and if you can see the darnells at harvest time the corn the husk is blackened but wheat is golden so darnell is a poisonous weed and just like there are those and, and God knows who are his God knows who are the wheat and who are the tares and so the, the, the tares, the darnel, the poison they look similar to wheat in its early stage and their roots grow deeper and stronger than, than, than wheat so you can't pull out the tares while the weeds are still growing and the only way to sort this out safely is to do it at harvest time where you can see the color is different the fruit is different the seed is different the seed is golden or blackened so this is where God will separate the good seed from the bad seed the good fruit from the bad fruit and there's a promise of God's restoration here hidden in Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 7 to 11 he says therefore thus saith the Lord God I have lifted up mine hand and surely the heathen that is the wicked that are about you they shall bear their shame but ye O mountains of Israel ye shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people of Israel for they are at hand to come for behold I am for you and I will turn unto you and ye shall be tilled and sown and I will multiply men upon you all the house of Israel even all of it and the cities shall be inhabited and the wastes shall be builded and I will multiply upon you man and beast and they shall increase and bring fruit and I will settle you after your old estates and I will do better unto you than your beginnings and ye shall know that I am the Lord he's talking about the millennial kingdom here he's talking about the reign of Jesus Christ God's kingdom after he has brought his wrath and destruction on the heathen and the wicked here he is saying in verse 10 that the waste or the what was destroyed shall be rebuilt and that God will give increase and that he will multiply you know men and beast and there will be increase in fruit and he will and he will settle you after your old estates in the scripture it says that that we will inherit a new body when he raises us up to be with him we will be see him as he is Jesus as he is and we will be like him in our spiritual bodies our old estates our fleshly bodies will no longer be we will be in our immortal bodies and here in this scripture this is talking about the restoration process that happens in the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ right here in Ezekiel 
It's time to get rid of our Sunday school images about the thousand year reign of what Jesus' kingdom means. And this is, this, this is the rebuilding and the restoration without the curse. This is the rebuilding and the restoration without any decay. But there will be increase and rebuilding in the kingdom of God. And God's end time promise is here in the book of Joel chapter 2. And says, Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you approach a reproach among the heathen, but I will remove far off from you the northern army, and I will drive him into a land barren and desolate, and his face toward the east sea, and his hinder part toward the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up, and his ill savour shall come up, for he hath done great things, wicked things, that is. Fear not, O land. This is what God promises after his wrath. He says, Fear not, O land. He's talking to the earth. He says, Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will, will do great things. Do not be afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. This is the restoration, the end of the curse in the millennial kingdom of Jesus. He says, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. This is the beginning of the year, the first month, the beginning of the millennial kingdom. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts has eaten, the cancer, the canker worm, the sickness, the plagues, the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, and my great army which I send among you. And ye shall eat plenty, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and no one else. And my people shall never be ashamed. Here Joel is prophesying about the second coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God. This is the promise. So thank you. We thank you Lord for your word. We thank you Lord for your truth. We pray, Lord, that this word will increase in our hearts, that you would just grow our gardens, you will increase our gardens, that you will increase our storehouses, you will give us the strength 
that our roots will be established and grounded in you, Lord, and that you prepare us for your second coming, Lord. Maranatha, Yeshua, come again, Jesus, come again soon. Let us be those bridesmaids with their lamps full of oil, burning bright, waiting for the bridegroom to return. This is your promise, Lord. Let us be ready for you. Let us be prepared and stand firm upon your promises and upon your principles and upon your precepts and commandments. We thank you, Father God, for this message. We thank you for the fullness of this message. I pray that you bring measure of fullness in each and every one of us who hear this message. And that you will bring supernatural understanding. And that you will seal this message in our hearts. Because Lord, this is the hope. Lord, this is the faith. Lord, this is the eternal love of your eternal glory. Because Lord, your final words in the Bible, Jesus, that you spoke, is behold, I come soon. I am coming soon. I am coming quickly. So, Lord Jesus, let us be a bride prepared for you. We thank you. We give you all the glory. And let your word spread. Let your gardens increase. Let your light increase. And let your fruit increase in every single believer's heart this day. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. The name above all names the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and that every knee and every tongue shall bow, and every name will, everyone will confess your name, Jesus, whether believer or unbeliever. Lord, you have already brought principalities and powers under your feet, and Lord, we earnestly await you establishing the earth as your footstool, establishing your kingdom, restoring your kingdom, removing the curse from your creation, restoring and rebuilding in the promise as we can ent enter into the rest that Lord as you on the seventh day, Lord in your millennium kingdom that you rested from your works. And that in the seventh day, there was no more day and night. There was no Boko or Erev. That you rested from your works. And on the eighth day, Lord, you brought a new beginning. And you will bring a new creation. You will bring a new heaven. And a restored earth. And a restored heaven. And you will unite them once again just as it was in the days of Garden and Eden, in the beginning, when you created all things. And there will no longer be darkness. There will no longer be evil. There will no longer be sorrow. That you will wipe away the tears. And that you will give us the living water to drink. That we will have access to the tree of life. And the tree will bear fruit each one fruit for every month 
and that there will no longer be any need for any sun because Jesus you are the sun your glory will shine and illuminate so I pray Lord that we can be your stars and your illuminators your lights in this world to others and let your light shine and let your love abound to you be the glory to you be the praise O Heavenly Father Almighty God Ancient of Days, Jehovah. Amen.